Welcome to Out of the Blank. Welcome to another episode of Out of the Blank Podcast. I'm here with a special guest, Mr. Posner. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Can you please introduce yourself to everyone out there listening? Yeah, uh, Robbie, I'm uh, Gerald Posner. I'm an investigative reporter. I've done uh, 13 uh, nonfiction books, uh, ranging from everything from uh, political assassinations to Nazi war criminals to Saudi Arabia 9-11, books about the history of Motown, uh, finances in the Vatican, and the most recent book was uh, an investigative history of the uh, drug industry. Have you ever thought about writing a book that was like more like Bob Ross centered or something? Because those are a lot of heavy topics, man. I mean, that's a hard I mean, I get it. It's trendy and it's kind of very serious. But I feel like after a while writing about that type of stuff or investigating it, it's just got to get difficult. Well, you know, and, and and I work actually with my wife, Tricia Posner, who is her last book was called The Pharmacist of Auschwitz is the first nonfiction book about the pharmacist who ran the dispensary, the largest death camp in in nazi you know in nazi occupied poland and nobody had ever done that story so even in our spare time we're doing you know i'm researching her books as she's researching mine we find that for us uh, the we've got to be on fire about it because i live with the topic for a year or two or sometimes more the vatican book took on and off nine years in between other books to get done so it has to be something where i think there there's history in it there's investigative there's new material to find out and I go into it with the same approach. The reason that I get so excited about it is I don't know where I'm going to come out. So it's odd because in publishing, most authors go to a publisher and they say, by the way, I want to do a book on the Kennedy assassination. I want to do a book on the drug industry or finances in the Vatican. And here's my conclusion. Here's what I think the book is going to say. They give them the whole package. And then the publisher, like Random House or Simon & Schuster, says, great, we like that. We'll sign that book up and you finish it up and go and do some research and come back and we'll publish it. I go to publishers and I say, hey, I'm interested in this subject like the JFK assassination or the pharmaceutical industry, but I don't know what I'm going to say. I always have a bias going in. We all have some opinion of what we think we're going to find and nobody's a complete blank slate. So when I went in to do the JFK assassination in the 90s, early 90s, I thought it was likely the mob. Okay, I, that was my most suspicious feeling because of Jack Ruby having murdered Oswald. Uh, when I went into the drug industry, I knew there were a lot of bad stories about the drug industry, but I had no idea how much. When I went in to do a story about the finances of the Vatican, I didn't realize the Vatican was essentially running an offshore bank in the heart of Rome, a foreign capital. That bank called the Vatican Bank is a hangout for mobsters and offshore money and, and all types of dark money and has been for years and nobody does anything about it and they get away with it because they're the church. So I go back to the publisher eventually and say, this is what I found out. And then they publish it. And in the case of the Kennedy assassination, for instance, case closed my book back in 93, the publisher was initially disappointed because when I went to them before they, they saw the manuscript and said, hey, by the way, you don't have to do a book that just highlights these the five or six key issues that are still left in the case that was my original idea let me go through all the evidence throughout the stuff that's bad highlight the five or six mysteries you can't resolve 
and then say to people, hey, read this book first. It's a primer on the assassination. If you read this, you'll know what the evidence is and then what we can't figure out. I said to them at Random House, hey, you can actually put out a book that says, this is who killed Kennedy. And I remember the head of Random House at the time was a, a British former newspaper publisher, Harry Evans, great investigative guy. And he said, who? And I said, Oswald. And he said, and who? And I said, and Oswald. And you could tell he was worried that I had gone out and read the Warren Commission and that was the end of it. And the, the, what had they done? When he heard what was new, he got excited about it. But, you know, my point is you have to follow the facts for what you find. You have to follow the evidence. And we all hope as investigative reporters, that we're gonna find the most sensational story. We're gonna find some whistleblower like Aaron Brockovich that's gonna blow the, 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 you know, the lid off of an industry or like Woodward and Bernstein with, uh, you know, when they come up with Watergate. So I'm hoping that in the Kennedy assassination, for instance, I can come back with the absolutely definitive evidence that proves it's a conspiracy that convinces the New York Times, the Washington Post, all the major networks and everything else. Oh yeah, this is the missing piece of evidence that we haven't seen for all these years, conspiracy in the case. Instead, when you realize, in my view, it's just Oswald doing the shooting for his own warped motivations, it's a less sensational story, but that's what you have to do if you're honest about your journalism. So that's what I, you know, you ask me, why do I end up doing all these subjects? I do them because I never know where I'm ending up until the very end, and I sort of like the topics, they're challenging. Have your thoughts on case closed, have they changed at all? I mean, just with new documents that come out. I know everyone's looking for a smoking gun document, but I mean, I look at a lot of stuff. And to me, like where I stand, and obviously we can talk about it a little bit as well, too. I, I look at this unbiased as just I'm going into it. I don't care if it was Oswald that did or Oswald didn't. I mean, half the time I'm reading the Warren Commission. I'm like, wait, maybe Oswald did do it. But then there's just a lot of things like new documents that come out about stuff where I'm just like, I don't know yet. Like, I mean, if do you still stand that Oswald was the lone assassin? I mean, do you look at the acoustical evidence that there were five shots that were heard by the House Select Committee on assassinations? That means one must have come from the grassy knoll. No, no, look, if the if the acoustical evidence from the House Select Committee is right, then there's a conspiracy. End of end of discussion. Then you have to figure out who else is shooting because Oswald only has the time. Any shooter behind the president that day, forget whether you say it's Oswald, but a president shooting from the, uh, you know, a shooter from the general vicinity of the school book depository firing at that motorcade, firing three shots from when the car turns right in front of the depository until the time of the fatal headshot has time for three shots. You have a fourth shot, you've got a conspiracy, no question about it. And then you have to figure out who the other shooter is and where they're shooting from and who the conspirators are. The, the select committee in 75 to 78 did some fantastic work, debunked a lot of false material out there and was great. As they were wrapping up their investigation, they had the sound experts that said, you know, this was the headline at the end. Uh, they didn't have time, they couldn't get an extension into their uh, hearing. So they had these sound experts say 95% uh, chance of a conspiracy in the assassination because we think there are four shots at the moment on this sound tape, which was a sound tape taken on Dallas police stations from a microphone in the stuck on position, believed to be on a motorcycle policeman's uh, radio that was stuck on. If that was the case, and if that policeman was in Dealey Plaza, they might've recorded the sounds of the assassination. So. For you or anybody else who's listened to that recording, by the way, you listen to it and you wait to hear the sounds of gunfire. You don't hear it. You know, you don't hear it. So what the sound expert said is, okay, you don't hear it, but we have 
you know, we can spot on the sound tape these points at which there are essentially the supersonic sounds and you can see the waves and there are four of them. They take place right at the time of the assassination. That's pretty convincing evidence. After that came out, the National Academy of Sciences and others came out, and I believe, and I've said that to this day, not only did they debunk that as being accurate, but we now know that that microphone was not stuck on a policeman's uh, bike that was in Dealey Plaza. The bell that you hear on that particular tape actually indicates where the bike was, and that's closer to where the trademark was, where the president was going to speak. Now, does that mean there wasn't a conspiracy? No, it just means that the acoustic evidence doesn't prove it. And over the years, look, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of documents have been released since my book came out on the 30th anniversary of 93. And people ask me all the time, would you ever change your mind? Yeah, I'll change my mind on the conclusion that Oswald alone did it. I'll, I'll say it's a conspiracy. You just need to give me the credible evidence. Anybody who says to you, I don't care if it's Oliver Stone, says, no, I'll never change my mind. I'm convinced that I found the truth to the exclusion of everything else then they have a closed mind. They're not open to anything else. So I don't think that, you know, I'm still suspicious about whether Oswald was motivated by somebody else to do it at the last minute, whether the Cubans might have known. But my challenge, Robbie, to historians, investigators, JFK researchers, whatever else, is essentially this. Let's assume for a second that Oswald's in the plot. He's, he's one of the people in the plot to kill the president. I believe he was the shooter that day, but it's hard to, in, it, to indicate that he wasn't in the plot some way because after the assassination, he, he's the only one of the employees who leaves the building for the first time in his life. He tries to take a taxi. He's very, very short on money. He's very tight-fisted. He doesn't have a lot of money. That taxi gets stuck in the traffic around Dealey Plaza, so he you know, he's on a bus. He takes a taxi. Gets well, back. He, he gives up the taxi to, the, to some lady. He gives lady. up the taxi. That's right. That's right, because it's so crowded in the traffic, so it's not moving. Gets on the bus, which is actually faster, gets to his rooming house, takes a pistol, and then runs into a Dallas policeman in which we have 10 witnesses. Six of them actually, you know, eyewitnesses who watched the shooting take place. The ballistics tied to his gun to the exclusion of every other in the world leaves, you know, across and followed by people into the Dallas theater. Here's the point of that. Whatever you want to think about Oswald, even for people that think, oh, he wasn't the shooter, he wasn't capable, he just brought the rifle in that day. Um, he knew something about the plot because he's fleeing after the assassination. He's killing a Dallas policeman. And the question is, if, if you have that moment at, at that stage, if he's part of a plot, then when was he brought into the plot? So on September 25th, when the White House announced for the first time ever that Kennedy was going to visit Texas and Dallas would be one of the stops. So the public then knew about it. September 25th of that year, where was Oswald? He was actually on an overnight bus on the way to Mexico City. He had left New Orleans. So Oswald was on his way to Mexico City to try to get to what he viewed as the real revolution, Cuba, and join Fidel Castro. And he gets turned down in that following week twice by the Cuban embassy there and, and once by the Soviet Council. We now know because the Soviets have released the files, he took his pistol out, he slammed it on the table. He supposedly said at the Cuban embassy that I could do anything, I could kill the president, I could, you know, he was viewed by them. They, they contacted the KGB because he had lived in Russia as a defector and the KGB said the guy is crazy. So hold on, he comes back to the United States, the beginning of October. My point is that if the Cubans or the Soviets had said yes to him, you can go to Cuba, he would have been in Havana 
on November 22nd, 1963. Nowhere near the United States. That's where he wanted to be. So unless the Cubans and the Soviets were part of a conspiracy, they were already set up to be able to say no to Oswald, no matter what. That's too far-fetched. So you have to assume that their no's were real. He comes back to the U.S. in early October. If there's a plot to kill the president, I don't care if it's the mafia, the CIA, the KGB, Fidel Castro, whoever, they have to bring Oswald into it from the time he returns to the U.S. and to Dallas until the assassination on November 22nd. That's the window. That's where you have to convince me or anybody else that there was some link to a group of conspirators and that Oswald was brought in. So what does he do? It's pretty interesting. He's not living on his own. He's not a real loner like James Earl Ray, who I did a book on afterwards, who's very hard to figure out because there are long stretches of time in which Ray's alone. Oswald's living with a group of guys, living in a rooming house. He makes a call, they say, once a week, he tells the FBI in a foreign language. Uh, uh, that sounds interesting until you realize it's in Russian to Marina, his wife, who's living outside at a friend's house, and he goes out there to visit her on weekends. So they interview all of those people that were with him. There's nobody that shows up for Oswald on a single day. Nobody that shows up for him at his place of work at any time and asks to see him. Nobody that shows up at the rooming house where one of his rooming mates says, oh yeah, he received a call. I took a message for him. The FBI checks all of the incoming calls to not only that number at his house, but looking at any of the pay phones at the depository. No call to Carlos Marcello, the mafia don in New Orleans or to any mobster that might have any connection to it. So you can't do it by telepathy. You can't do it just by thinking of it. It's a, you know, osmosis. I'd like Oswald to somehow be involved in the plot or to shoot at the president on November 22nd. And if I think it's strong enough, he'll think to do it. There has to be the evidence of conspiracy. And it's a tight six week window. And nobody has been able to come up with a single credible piece of evidence that ties Oswald into that plot. And that's why, Robbie, I believe that so many people who study the case, who convince it's a conspiracy, try to push Oswald out of the plot. They say, oh, he's just a patsy. They don't deal with his murder of Tippett. They don't deal with the fact that he tried to kill in April, just a few months before Kennedy, a uh, US Army general, a right-wing general that he thought was like the next Adolf Hitler, and that that was gonna be his mark in history. They leave all that aside. They say, yeah, he's just a patsy. He was incapable of doing anything. And they push him out of the plot completely because they know they can't tie him into a conspiracy. So that's my, my, my question is, give me that evidence that shows where he comes in from early October to November 22nd, the group that brings him in, and I'll open my eyes up. I'm going to, I'm going to try. Um, I want to talk about the Walker incident. So the Walker incident is that guy that was allegedly a, a, the first person that Oswald tried to assassinate. Now I'm curious though, he didn't name that it was Oswald until after Kennedy was killed. And there's an FBI document that was in the 2021 release that did say that he's lying and you can't trust a thing that he's saying, mostly because every witness in that area talked about seeing two people, not one person, which would toss him out of being a lone nut. Yeah, uh, no, two things. First of all, the eyewitness accounts, there were no contemporaneous eyewitness accounts picked up by the police or eyewitness accounts picked up later, supposedly, that are like every eyewitness accounts. I'm a lawyer in another lifetime. And I know that if there's an accident right now, when I walk outside my building here in Miami, um, uh, five witnesses are going to describe the car speeding at a different angle or the color of the car different or the people inside is two or three. And we know that from Dealey Plaza where uh, people are split on the direction from where the sounds came from and what they saw, uh, you get conflicts all the time. So I always say, what's the best evidence? 
not Walker. I don't care if Walker says space aliens shot at him. I'm not going to believe uh, Walker because he doesn't know who shot at him. He, he has no idea. Uh, the only reason we know about that assassination attempt and the detail of it is Marina. Marina is the one who provided everything, including all of Oswald's books on it, including his own photography that he kept, including his surveillance of it, what he had told him, the notes about it. If it hadn't been for Marina, the FBI would never have solved it. They would, because the bullet that was fired in that was deflected just along the edge of this window frame that smashes into a wall was so mangled, you weren't able to tie it to any gun. They would never have even looked at it. So you have to ask yourself, okay, that's the case. So we only found out about it from Marina with all the notes and everything else. So did she make it up? Did Marina uh, go and, and take all those pictures and surveillance of what happened and make up the conversations that she had with Lee? Because Marina didn't know that Lee was going to be killed on that Sunday, two days after his arrest by Jack Ruby. I don't think anybody's accused Marina of being part of a plot to kill her husband. So as far as she was concerned, he was going to live. He was going to trial. She was trying to make sure she got an attorney for him. And at that trial, the federal government would use against him the information that he had shot at Walker based upon her testimony. So if she had made it all up, Oswald would say, Marina, you're lying. I don't even know what you're talking about. He was hanging out at Walker's meetings when they came back, when he came back from, I don't know if you're aware of this, but when he came back from Mexico City, where is Oswald? He's going back to Walker rallies. So if Kennedy hadn't come along with that motorcade, I think he's going to shoot at Walker again because he thinks that's an important contribution to history. But the Walker is all for Marina. The, and unless somebody wants to say Marina was part of a plot, I'm not sure how that works. Well, I, I think she was probably being threatened with the idea of being deported. I mean, there was, I mean- there's... So what happens when she becomes a citizen? Well, well, here's so wait, the- So what... if she's threatened with that, wait a minute, and now she thinks it's a conspiracy. Okay, Marina thinks it's a conspiracy to kill the president with her husband. And, and I've been with this. So why do you think that? Do you think that Walker didn't happen? Do you recant any of that? Well, I can actually do do uh, do you one better and I can just share the screen that I have right here. Um, it'll show up in just one second. And this is from um, Edwin A. Walker, Senator Frank Church. Um, Dear Senator Church, the Warren Commission found it concluded that Lee Harvey Oswald attempted to assassinate the undersigned at his home at 9 p.m. on April 10th, 1963. The initial and immediate investigation list at the time the incident reported two men at my home, one with a gun seen by an eyewitness and a neighbor. Within days, I was informed by Lieutenant of the Dallas City Police Force that Oswald was in custody by 12 p.m. that night for questions. He was released on higher authority than that in Dallas. There are two men, not a lonely nutter. Please inform me if the CIA was involved in this attempted assassination. So if you get to a point where it's just perfect. Well, that's he, perfect Walker, though. That's but, perfect Walker because he thing. thinks this guy is trying to kill him. So, well, I, yeah, there's a there's things about there's, there's things about talk about a nut. Well, there's things that's that's what I'm saying, though. So if if Marina is saying that Oswald had prior assassination attempts on Walker. Then you get into this area, you go, when do you trust Marina's statements? Do you trust her in 97 when she went back on every single thing that she said, though? I mean, Marina, there's- She never went back on Walker. She never went back on Walker. She never went back on the backyard photographs. Well, never. So Show the, me one instance. So then when we, when we talk about Marina's statements being a little bit weird, what about when the House Select Committee on Assassinations in Volume 2 talked about, do you remember seeing- you know, Oswald with, and I'll share the screen right here so you can make sure I can show you the proof as well to make sure I get the right document. Um, she went back on her statement. She asked, um, did you see Oswald with a rifle? And she said, honestly, I, he had a gun. This is so a weapon of some kind. And she said, yeah, I mean, shotgun, whatever you want to say. 
Um, so I'm going to pull up this document right here and show you that. I'm just, like, this is all like what I'm saying. I'm just going by documents. I'm going by the, this is their testimony and the thing right here. It says, do you know, what was your understanding that they knew of any individuals before he went to the Soviet Union? No, I don't think he knew them before, but when he returned, yes. Miss Porter, you testified earlier that when in Russia, you recall that Lee owned a rifle. Yes. Or some kind of weapon. Yes. Do you remember whether it was a rifle as opposed to a shotgun? What's the difference between a shotgun? Is it the size or what? It's a different kind of bullet or projectile that comes out. See, do you know the difference between a shotgun and a rifle? No. Okay. And there's a couple very incriminating things where I go, I don't think you can trust her testimony at that point. And wait, it's the so same thing with Helen Markham so as wait, well, too. Wait, wait, hold on a second. You mean you don't know if you believe that Oswald owned a gun in Russia? I, I believe he owned a gun, yes. But when I'm when in we Russia. talk when we talk about yeah, trusting right. when we talk about trusting Marina's statements are going by what Marina said, Marina so was so ask, back and so forth. Let me ask you. So let me ask you a question because it's just sort of I guess a basic thing. If you, we can't agree on what I view as facts, then we I, we yeah can't have a discussion on it because you can't agree on the basic facts. So you think that the Marina's still lying to this day that she took the picture of Lee in the backyard with him holding his gun. I haven't even brought up the backyard photographs. No, no, I'm just going by this. You think she's lying about what happened with Walker to this day? I I'm not too sure on the Walker thing. I mean, I look up by the FBI document that says Walker could be, you know, inflating this because I mean, you have someone that just assassinated President Kennedy, but then you have him assassinating someone who's on the complete opposite political spectrum. No, no, no. I'm just wondering though about Marina. Your view is that she's lying about Walker and and she's lying about the backyard photos? I'm not saying I haven't even touched the backyard photographs. No, no, um, no, no, but I'm asking you. I, I, I don't know about the backyard photographs. I couldn't tell you if they were legit or not. I haven't really looked into um, those. But about Walker, you think she's lying? What, about Walker, about her saying those types of things. I go by the witnesses that say they saw two people there. I don't think, I don't no, know no, if no, Oswald no was there. Witness. What, what witness statements? You know, that's what Walker said. Walker lied about everything. The, the, wasn't there a child and there was two other people as neighbor in the area? I don't know the names of the individuals, but I remember reading a document saying that they saw two people and they saw two cars speeding off in different directions. No witness statements from the police that night. Nothing in the police files. Walker made that up. So wait, then if Oswald was arrested for at 12 Oswald PM, wasn't arrested. That's the point. So that was wasn't arrested. So the point is Walker lies about everything in there. He's got everything wrong. And that's why I think that so many things, Robbie, get into this case and get repeated as facts and people believe them to be facts because they get repeated so many times. And then if you go back and you check the original files, now I'm sure that there's some conspiracy theorists out there who think so oh, they must have they, whoever the they is, the the same they in the in the secret government that can't build a homeless shelter on time or on budget somehow they only do things absolutely efficient when they're doing something nefarious they must have gone in and taken out any of the witness statements that existed about the walker shooting that night and they must have taken out the arrest record of oswald from that night and they must have made marina believe that he really arrived home that night even though we had him arrested at midnight and so you know I'm with you on that. That's a lot of work. Usually when I'm talking to someone about this and they start going, oh, they destroyed that or they destroyed this. That gives me pause because I'm like, OK, well, that's like an easy escape route to not explain why you don't have the document. But then you can point it back to why 1035-960, the official statement from the Warren Commission, was given to every media outlet. And at the bottom of it says destroy when no longer needed. 
I mean, that's yeah. so. Then I have to but validate you know, them as well no, too. But we're no longer, ne- but we're no longer needed is a very, very open thing. So I'd be holding on to to this day. The uh, that's what so, I'm saying. So you know, but the thing is, you know, I think that so, and this is I, critical in some ways for my view of it. Let's say for a second that Oswald shot a Walker. Let's say that he shot at five political leaders before he shot at Kennedy. He didn't, he didn't, don't worry. I'm not saying that he did, but he shot at Walker. Doesn't mean that he killed Kennedy. Doesn't mean he shot at Kennedy. Doesn't mean there wasn't a conspiracy. So I'm not one of those people who says, oh, by the way, he shot at Walker and therefore we know he's gonna be the assassin on Kennedy. No, I think that that is an indication that he could take political assassination as part of his political philosophy. All right, he viewed himself as being able to move to that next step, which very, very few people do. But still, doesn't tell you if he was the the shooter on November 22nd. And even if you conclude that he's the shooter on November 22nd, as I do, it doesn't tell you if there's a conspiracy or not, because the tougher question coming out of it, is there a conspiracy to kill the president? Was he part of it? Because one of the odd things about I think it's odd, you might not, about my conclusion is that I think that there were definitely conspiracies inside the CIA and the FBI after the assassination. The FBI destroyed evidence. They they tried to run away from Oswald. J. Edgar Hoover, their FBI chief, was petrified that the vaunted agency was going to be held responsible for knowing that Oswald was dangerous and not doing anything, although he was working on the uh, building on the parade route. And the CIA was lying to the Warren Commission in part because they didn't want them to know that they were in league with the mafia to try to kill a head of state, not Kennedy, but Fidel Castro, and it failed six times to even wound him. So they're both covering their own asses to the detriment of telling the truth. The Warren Commission doesn't have any investigative power beyond the CIA and the FBI, really, in this case, both of whom could be considered suspects. So you have all types of questions. You've got Jack Ruby's murder of Oswald. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have a conspiracy to cover up the truth from those two, not of a murder in my view, but of their own reputations. But in addition, I've always said there could well be conspiracies brewing to kill the president. The so if you came to me with a tape, Robbie, that that you just found a, a piece of evidence that had, I don't know, Santo Traficante and and um, who was head of, uh, you know, one of the big mobsters down in Florida and uh, head of the New Orleans mob, Carlos Marcello, sitting down at a table and saying, hey, let's kill that no good president, that no good SOB. We want him dead. Let's make sure it happens. Or you had it from CIA officers saying it. I would say, fine, that's a conspiracy to kill the president. Now show me that the shooter, who I think was Oswald, was tied in that conspiracy, because in my view, You always have plots brewing against U.S. presidents. If if Joe Biden was killed today or Barack Obama or Donald Trump had been killed while in office, we'd immediately say, "Okay, who did it? Islamist terrorists, anti-abortion people, um, survivalists. There's a whole group of possible suspects. Same with JFK. So conspiracies, were they afoot? Were they brewing against Kennedy? I have no doubt about it. My challenge to those who find a conspiracy is to show me how it works with Oswald. That's sort of the, the the crux of it. So, do you think like because do you think Oswald went to assassinate Walker, and then also do you, you said that he did kill Kennedy? Right. I I think that Oswald. You know, people say he was a leftist. I don't think he was a straight leftist. Yeah, he thought that the the real revolution was happening in Cuba, but he hated 
the Soviet Union after he had stayed there as much as almost he hated the United States. He came back to the United States, he says in his own writings, because it was the lesser of two evils. He thought that the, the Soviets had really bungled and mangled uh, a pure Marxism. The Lee Harvey Oswald that I came to understand, and you know that 40% of my book is a biography about him uh, in detail, and in detail that may be more than any other single book that you end up uh, picking up. The, because I think if you don't understand Oswald, you have no idea why he might end up in the window of the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository firing at the president. One of the big failures of the Warren Commission was ever giving us motivation and motive, explaining the why. You only get the why if you get Oswald. So the Oswald I came to understand, so we could disagree with this, the could have been on the sixth floor of a building in downtown Moscow, shooting at Nikita Khrushchev, who was the head of the Soviet Union at the time, if that opportunity had come up. He didn't have a personal hatred toward Kennedy or to Khrushchev, but he hated the machinery. He hated the machinery of capitalism, what the United States represented, this imperialist country, hated what the Soviets had done to Marxism, and he was ready to throw a cog into the machinery of government. His form of politics had a left tint, but it was a bit of anarchy as well. And it turned out that Kennedy was a gift on a silver platter. He thought, here's a guy, if you can put yourself back into his footsteps, that thinks he's going to prevent the next Adolf Hitler from coming to power because Walker's going to become the governor of Texas and then run one day for the presidency and he's a right-wing threat. That'll be his contribution to history. And suddenly, he finds out that the president of the hated United States is going to come in front of the place where he works. Boy, I'll tell you, it's a chance to enter the history books that's unprecedented, and he takes advantage of it. I guess my only question to that would be, would be like, how could you miss a target that's sitting still in his house writing a letter, but be able to shoot a target from a sixth floor of a building moving 75 yards away and farther? It's the great, it's the great uh, thing about the assassination. It's why I spent two years studying it and, five, and 500 pages going over it. Is it possible? Sure, it's possible. The, on, the, on the Walker shooting, Walker would have been dead, except for the fact that the windows, it's hard to tell that there's a very, very thin sash of wood that goes across the windows. It looks like it's clear glass. When Oswald shoots in and doesn't realize that, he thinks he's actually killed Walker. He only learns Walker's alive from the radio reports later. It is, according to Marina, assume for a second she's telling the truth unless you can indicate otherwise, he's crestfallen by that because he thinks Walker's dead. He doesn't know that that bullet has just grazed along the edge of one of that little wooden seam, deflects it enough to miss Walker's head by a couple of inches and hits into a wall. Walker's not even aware initially there's a bullet, much less the stuff that he later writes uh, to church. So my point on Walker is you get an assassin who thinks that he's killed his target, he hasn't. And on the Kennedy assassination, you know, people say, oh, so it wasn't a great rifle. Yeah, I agree. It was a good killing rifle, Italian carbine, a wartime rifle. It fires a 160 grain full jacketed metal bullet. Um, it's a, a bolt action. It's a good killing machine, but you have to be able to operate the bolt, which Oswald used to sit on the balcony in New Orleans when he lived there with a marina uh, months before the assassination and operate for an hour at a time, dry runs on the bolt. He was fast with it, but that doesn't mean he could kill the president. He gets off three shots. One of them misses entirely, misses everybody in the vehicle. I think it was deflected by either the trees, which the FBI never went up and did a cherry picker on uh, and misses the, uh, all the car's occupants. The second shot, assume for a second, whoever the shooter is, we know one thing. They're, the only bullets that hit anybody 
at Dini Plaza that day were fired from the gun that Oswald owned. So if there was another assassin, fourth shot, fifth shot, 10th shot, three assassins, five assassins, whatever, they all missed Conley, the governor, and Miss Kennedy, because the bullets that are taken out don't match to any other gun. But that aside, some assassin, whether you want to, some people don't want to say it's Oswald, whoever's firing Oswald's gun from the rear of the president's direction misses on one shot, hits on another shot, the second shot, which is not fatal, president will survive, and that's the end of it, and would have missed on the third shot. You say, oh, how could the person who missed Walker succeed on Kennedy? Would have failed on Kennedy, except for the fact that the driver of the limousine, the oldest member of the security detail that day, William Greer, 52 years old, what does he do? You could pull it up on your screen. What does he tell the Warren Commission? He says, oh, I heard the first shot. I knew it was, and then I turned around and looked back at the president at the second shot. And then I turned around and I was driving out of Dealey Plaza and ex accelerating out when I heard what sounds like, you know, a baseball bat hit a pumpkin or something. It was the, it was the sound of the headshot. Guess what? Dramatic testimony, but wrong. The tape doesn't lie. You look at the film of the Zapruder film, the homemade movie of the assassination, and he's, he's incorrect about what he says. He turns to look at the president after the second shot. And he's looking at him uh, at the time when I, the car then slows from 10 miles to between five to seven miles an hour. Kennedy is in a back brace. We forget about that often. He's wounded from the second shot. He's lulled a little bit to the left. He's had this neurological response. His wife, Jackie, is pressing on his left elbow to bring it down. His head is straight on. The driver's taking no evasive actions, not speeding out of Dealey Plaza, not moving at all. The security, the Secret Service person in the front seat is not climbing over the car and jumping on top of the president. If any of that takes place, that third shot isn't going to succeed, even if you have James Bond firing it. Oswald fires that shot and still almost misses. The bullet hits high in the right rear portion of the head, an inch and a quarter higher, he misses entirely, and the president lives as an unsuccessful assassination. We now know all these years later that if Hinckley's bullet had moved over an inch, Ronald Reagan would have been dead. The difference between Reagan living or dying, Hinckley being successful or not, was literally that inch. And it's the same with Oswald. So he doesn't go from being what I call a clumsy assassin to being a super assassin, but he's good enough to pull it off. And, and one thing about that, if I can say, I think that people who think it's a conspiracy that Oswald was a passy, that he didn't do it. They, they can't believe that this 24 year old, he just turned 24 the month before, pulled it off. Think of it, you're, you're same age, right? The, he's a young guy and, and he seems to be this loser in life. So how could he have killed the president and managed to, to pull it off? Those of us who think that Oswald did it are the only ones that probably give him credit. And I don't mean credit in a good way, but for having been able to do that assassination. And what I mean by that is, think about this. When he shoots at Walker in April, Walker's sitting inside his study. It's not moving around or anything else like you said. It's not, a, it's not, a, and nobody's watching him. I think he showed up to the door with a little bit of debris on his shoulder still too. Yeah, but there's no crowd around. There's no public there. With Kennedy assassination, Oswald has no idea what the presidential motorcade is going to be like. He's never been there before. He doesn't know if they're going to be Secret Service in his building or maybe next door at the Dow Techs. 
He doesn't know if his co-workers, five of whom who went downstairs at noon, half an hour before, might come back up to the sixth floor to see the, three of them went to the uh, fifth floor instead. Uh, If somebody stays on his floor, in my view, there's no assassination that day. It's not a suicide mission. So Oswald will take that rifle back. We don't know how many times in history somebody may have gone to a political rally with a gun hoping to get a chance to kill the candidate and then they never get the chance. In Oswald's case, nobody comes back to that sixth floor. He sets up what I call the sniper's nest. And then you have to imagine that when that, I don't care how many times he's seen the president on a television news program, but when that car turns the corner a block away and starts to head toward the depository, it becomes real. There is Jack Kennedy and there's Jacqueline Kennedy in her pink Chanel suit and the governor of Texas with his Stetson hat looking like he's out of central casting and his wife, the secret service uh, in the front of the car, the open limousine, and your adrenaline has to be up here, right up to uh, as high as it could get. Now you have to take that gun, the bullets in the chamber, so the clock starts running from the time you press the first trigger. You're ready in your mind to try to kill this person, but now you have to pull it off. You have to do it. And there are people who would have just taken that rifle down and forgotten about it. There are people who would have missed all three shots because their nerves would have been so great. And he stays with it. I don't say that in terms of admiration, but I'm saying it's not a simple process. I think we tend to underestimate the how high his nerves and stress and adrenaline must have been and yet he still managed to stay with it and then keep his head about him afterwards to get out of out of the texas school book depository within two minutes i when we talk about marina being able to identify that that was oswald's rifle um i'm assuming that's how you when you said earlier about that being oswald's rifle and i know in oliver's film he shows that obviously there was a the stock or the strap was pinned at the bottom was not the same one that was in the photo but i don't use that as evidence what i use is um this statement from the same thing the house select committee on assassinations when they interviewed her um where it says right here Mr. Chairman, let the record reflect that Miss Porter, which is that's Marina Oswald because her name changed when she got married, was unable to identify Lee Harvey Oswald's rifle, which was marked CE-139 before the Warren Commission. She was unable to identify it in 1964 when she testified before the Warren Commission and consequently will not be able to show it to her today since showing it would serve no such useful purpose. And then also there was another one from that same thing. I don't know if it switched over, if it's showing this as well too. Is it still showing the same one or is it showing a different one? Can you, can you hear me? Just showing the same one. Okay. Uh, showing the same one. Um, so I'll, I'll share screen again. Um, so this one right here, um, I, it's the same exact one. Hang on. Sorry. Sorry about that technical difficulties. Um, this one right here where talked about, you said that hearing him reload and do the cocking and the, you know, the pullback and she never heard any sound. She didn't even take time to pay attention to that. She said she was looking through, he would sit at his rifle on a screened in porch on the balcony, asked through a scope, and she didn't know what a scope was. She later found out, she states in the testimony that she later found out what the scope was, but she never even thought to even take account for the sound of anything. And this, this is what was weird to me, was that this is the most weird distant relationship I have ever came across. Just reading it, 
oh, well, he would be pissed off and wouldn't want me to talk to him. So we kept our distance. You know, I never even thought to look into his rifle. I don't know half the people now that are married to someone that don't go through their shit. I'm just saying, like, to me, that was just strange. Maybe it's different times. Like I said, I had to take an account for the time I had to look at. Like my, my whole thing, every document I'm coming across of is saying communism, make sure that it's this person. So we, there's no idea of conspiracy. We can't let this fear of communism. So I go, well, what the hell is communism? Like how big of a fear was it? I'm, I don't know what that, that fear is, but I can relate it to the fear of COVID when it first started. Everyone thinking that their family members were going to die. That's probably what the fear of a next world war back then was. It was so peaked up high. So I get the idea of blaming this person and making him, you know, whatever, manipulating evidence, whatever you want to say to make him look like the assassin so you're not going to war with russia or cuba because one thing kennedy did do was he opened up backdoor channels between castro and khrushchev and i have their testimony statements where they sent a letter out when kennedy was assassinated saying our heart goes out to you people of the united states of america for the death of john f kennedy but then there's like a weird little thing under it where it says who is going to be resuming power or taking next power and it's that fear of johnson because under the guise which everybody knows is that johnson after Kennedy's death, even though he said he was going to keep Kennedy's policies, reverse them all. And we ended up staying in Vietnam and uploading way more troops there and were there way longer than what Kennedy wanted. Well, you know, you say that, but, you know, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I have a substack called Just the Facts. And so, you know, I'm just a, like, I'm so boring on this. So, uh, you know, people say, oh, Kennedy would have done X on Vietnam. All right. So I say, we don't know. You can look at all the evidence and everyone wants to think that they that he would have done the right thing, which would have been not getting involved in this swamp and this Morris that killed fifty eight thousand Americans and caused years of uh, the, uh, of all that heartache all the way around, and maybe he would have. We tend to read into his young presidency all the right decisions in the future, even faster on civil rights and everything else, but we just don't know. And and the thing is, when you say he opened up backdoor channels to to Khrushchev and to to Castro, and he also was the one who approved with his brother Bobby the plots that would kill Fidel Castro. So they were ready to, to knock Castro out. So yeah, may have opened up the backdoor channels, but they wanted Castro dead. So it was an unusual member and that standoff with Khrushchev on the Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy won, the US won. There's no question because Khrushchev blinked, but because we came to the brink of nuclear annihilation. So my point is, yeah, it, it, you're right. Would he have been a different president than LBJ? No question about it. And the, all the, problems that came in afterwards with Vietnam and the lies over Vietnam and then Watergate and then Iran-Contra and the loss of faith in government. And we mark the Kennedy assassination as the start of that. And I understand the reasons, by the way, as to why people are so suspicious about the Kennedy assassination, because not only just Oswald and the question of the shooting, but for me, if you want the, my original real suspicions, it's because we don't get a trial. We don't see the evidence. We don't hear Oswald go to trial. He's killed two days later by some wannabe mobster who looks like he's out of central casting, who runs a, a strip club in, in Dallas and gets through the police court. And no wonder people think there's a, a conspiracy in the case. So I understand all the reasons why people just don't think that I'm in a great minority, a very small minority of people who think that Oswald actually pulled this off on his own and that the vast majority of people think is a much wider conspiracy, even though they disagree about what type of conspiracy. But still, the in the end, you know, I'm just sort of this like guy who says, all right, I'll believe it, but I just need to see the credible evidence. And I think the credible part is what's key. Well, that's the most difficult part for someone that's 
a newer generation looking back at something that w was way before their time. I mean, I came into this looking at it like, okay, we said, well, you said Oswald's 24 years old, you know, a bit of a loser type. I mean, that fits my description. I'm in the same boat. So I'm like, okay, I don't, I can't kill the president. I can't pull that off. I, I don't have any ability to, but I'm looking at all these things and I just don't see like reasonable things you can question. If you're, if you killed the president, people said he's because he's a lone nut, he's mad. Well, he's also saying he's a patsy and he's also asking for a lawyer, which to me doesn't fit a description of someone that would do those types of things. Now that can be speculation or that could be my own personal thoughts, obviously. So we don't have to consider that even evidence or we don't have to look at that. But then you kind of look a little bit more into Oswald. And I mean, people saying he's central intelligence, he's got fingerprints of intelligence. Why is he in Russia defecting his citizenship? Why, when he came back, nobody gave him an interview i think it was one fbi agent talked to him for an hour and then he's friends with george demornshield people on the right like right wing white russian type people but he's being labeled as a communist which doesn't make any sense as a communist you would have communist friends you would hang out yeah. with these things so, but there are no communist russians in dallas they're only white russians white russians meaning anti-communist russians and those were the people that marina hung out with because they were the people that spoke russian and she wasn't speaking english very well so oswald would sort of get into heated arguments at times with them and they thought he was a jerk you've seen that testimony it's those russians who give some of the most damning information about oswald later but it doesn't mean he shot at the president again you know i go back to this he beat marina okay he physically was abusive to her so i don't mean so in terms of uh, making light of physical abuse of his wife but it doesn't mean he shot the president um the and, and he defected to the soviet union and that was an unusual thing to do i agree came back to the united states but so did i talk about this in books a dozen other defectors one of whom actually a, a former marine had renounced his citizenship. Oswald had failed to renounce his citizenship, had tried to, failed to. They thought he was a spy, that's why. Yeah, yeah. And th but then they moved him out to this provincial capital because they thought he was also a little off kilter. Remember with Oswald, we get two psychological tests, one when he's a teenager, young teen, and one uh, later when he defects to Russia, one of the, you know, the one when he's 13 years old concludes essentially it's passive aggressive schizoid personality features with a tendency toward violence, but again, that doesn't mean he shot at the president. So yeah, I think that people who make the case for conspiracy say, oh, you know, he was just this, uh, you know, unusual guy. We don't have all these questions and he couldn't have been the one who shot at the president. And people who are just what I call Warren Commission advocates who don't want to argue the evidence say, oh, well, look at his past. It was so troubled. There's a lot of people who have equally troubled past and they don't end up shooting at the president of the United States. So my point is that you, you study Oswald, you get to understand, I think, why he did it. But at the same time, it doesn't mean he was destined to do it. Right. He could have he if the November 22nd hadn't happened. He might have turned out to be a very boring 50 year old guy worried about how much he had saved on his 401k or something, um, as opposed to worrying about getting to Havana and world revolution. You just don't know. And, and I think that that's the part of it that makes it so fascinating is because in my view, a lot of history is chaos and chance. It's not what we like to think it's well planned, um, but things happen for spur of the moment, you know, you mentioned before, Robbie, it's a very good point. Why doesn't he just admit it then? He's a guy who's killed the president. It's the biggest achievement of his life and stand up and say, hey, I did it, right? You know, this is me, give me some acclaim. So two things, first, I've never seen an assassin. Normally we don't get a long range rifle shot where the assassin gets away. That only happened in Kennedy and, and Martin Luther King. Normally it's somebody with a pistol who comes up and 
and shoots the person like a Sirhan with his brother Bobby or uh, with John Lennon when he is killed or with Hinckley shooting at Reagan, uh, John Chapman shooting at uh, none of them when they're caught. Even the, the shooter Bremer on George Wallace, who was running for the presidency, caught at the scene with a pistol in their hand, having shot at the candidate. None of them say, oh, yeah, it was me. They all say not guilty. They all try to go to trial to fight the charges right, from the very beginning. And Oswald was having the time of his life. He asked for John Apt, ABT, who was a, a lawyer who represented the Communist Party up in New York. Uh, he, Apt wasn't coming down right away. He didn't want a public defender. And he didn't think he was going to die on Sunday. You know, we all look at this as though this is 48 hours to live because on Sunday, Jack Ruby kills him. But nobody has that in their mind. Certainly not Lee Harvey Oswald. So as far as he's concerned, this is the beginning of a long process. He is now going to have to wait for them to bring the charges. He's going to defend himself, however that is. He's going to make a political case out of it. And we don't know what that would have been. It would have been fascinating to see. Would he have been convicted in a Dallas court or in a federal court? I believe so, but he would have had some very, very strong defenders and Mark Lane and other lawyers would have rushed to his defense. Since diving into the assassination topic, and I've been kind of involved in the community, which is a mess in its own, um, more fighting amongst that than I've ever seen anything actually get done in there. But I respect you giving me the like being able to talk to me like this because like I'm very interested in it just because like there's a lot of stuff where I think it's reasonable thinking to question a lot of a lot of this stuff, yeah. you know, line up certain aspects. But you also like it's a lot of like experts that say they have the information. They're very, very secretive with that information and they don't want to talk about it. It's like, well, then the reason why we have controversial issues in our society, 9-11, we have uh, the John F. Kennedy assassination, Martin Luther King assassination, any type of thing where people like want to spark anger and conspiracies start is because we don't talk about it. We don't get down to discussing it, whether you we, we obviously might have some disagreements on this, but we're talking about it. You're helping me. I mean, for I'm looking at it for a historical record standpoint. If they come out yeah. and say it was 100 percent Oswald, good. But to say that someone isn't lying, somebody is. And if you look in the record, whether it's government cover up, whether it's a threat to national security, whatever you want to say. I mean, look at Alan Dulles, for instance, his ties with MKUltra. MKUltra was a conspiracy for the longest time. But Tom O'Neill, yeah. through the Freedom of Information Act, got a lot of this stuff exposed. They found the transcripts in a warehouse that they kept. But yeah, then I agree. You, well, you look at the, the psychiatrist for Jack Ruby, Luis Joyon West. Look up his name on Google and you'll see working for the CIA using LSD interrogations to brainwash victims during the Korean War, Vietnam War, whatever you want to say. Then you realize I go and type his name up on the CIA on the Wikipedia. It says works for the CIA. I go to the CIA.gov. I type in his name for the documents. No results found. But you know where I did find him? Stamped at the bottom right of every document that's labeled Jack Ruby psychiatric records. Now, that's. When you look at the Warren Commission, I think the Warren Commission is thorough as hell. I mean, they went to areas like Jack Ruby's mother's dental records are in there. That's thorough, and I don't know why they're in there. But you yeah. get you get to an area where it's like, was it maybe they didn't get all the information? And then you look at the a number of people on the Warren Commission that didn't want to didn't really like the direction the Warren Commission was going. And you get to the point where Alan Dulles in charge of MK Ultra, it was not disclosed. If you look at Jack Ruby's testimony saying they gave me cancer. 
That's where I draw a line. I don't know because I haven't seen anything like that in history. But I have his x-ray records I can show you. And they gave him 126 x-rays in a matter of two weeks. And I've talked about it on the show before. That's nuts with 1967 radiology equipment. Well, I'll tell you one thing. The um, I know this from having done my book on the pharmaceutical industry. You can give um, uh, CT scans, uh, dozens and dozens. And there are children that get CT scans because they have uh, cancers and they get more CT scans than you can imagine. And their risk of cancer goes up uh, with significant odds, but 40 to 50 years after the fact. Those slow development of the mutations of the genes isn't something that happens instantly. They could give cancer to somebody in a, uh, in a one year or two year period. Then I'd like to know how they lost the ability to do that from 1964 until 2022, because they're still unable to do that, uh, the, that idea. So, you know, it's always one of those things, but, you know, it's what you said. People are suspicious about everything. And when you say the Warren Commission did a good job, I mean, I get criticized from both ends because people think it's a conspiracy, can't stand the fact that um, I think it's Oswald and that I have an arrogant title to my book called Case Closed on a, a case that will never be closed for the majority of people. I understand that. But the Warren Commission fans also get aggravated because I criticize the Warren Commission. I don't think they did an aggressive job on looking at Ruby's possible mob contacts enough to really dispel those at the time. They didn't look follow up on those. They didn't disclose because the Kennedy family asked them not to, the x-ray photos and, and the autopsy uh, x-rays in the photos. Um, they should have been part of a, a limited disclosure. They didn't set up any apparatus to answer questions as they continue to come up. They didn't explain motive. They got the sequence of shots wrong at Dealey Plaza. They, I believe, uh, we'll have to discuss this on yet another time, but, you know, because it'll take a longer time. I think they were right on the so-called single bullet, but they couldn't prove it. They guessed it. And it turns out that 30 years later and 40 years later, you could do ballistics tests and it turns out they were right, but they took a guess at it and it could have easily just been wrong. And they were under tremendous pressure, as you said, to reach a conclusion that everybody signed off on, even if some had their doubts, some thought, oh, I think the Russians could be involved, and some weren't sure that, you know, really it couldn't be something else, and Oswald, it couldn't just be Oswald on his own, but they all signed off on it because LBJ, who thought that it was likely the Cubans, that Castro found out that we were trying to kill him, and he killed Kennedy first, he agreed to say, yes, they came to the right conclusion, Oswald alone, even though he didn't believe it himself, because they didn't want to go to war with anyone. So there's all that conflicting political pressure on them. Today, let me ask you, Robbie, if we had a political assassination of a president, would this country tolerate seven person blue ribbon panel being appointed of all guys? And then they look at the evidence for a year and they come out with a conclusion and say, this is what happened. We'd, we'd throw it out. We'd say, no way. It'd be a much more open, aggressive, transparent process. And I think that's the problem with the Warren Commission. They came to the right conclusion, in my view, but they've got a lot of problems along the way, and many of their problems set up the basis for conspiracy speculation after the fact. I don't want to come off as a Warren Commission defender. I, I meant the way I look at it is there was a lot of secrets that they weren't informed on things that were going on like mk ultra like someone should have disclosed that that Luis joylon west was but nobody would have known alan dulles might have known because he was in charge of that program but it's this aspect of like they didn't that was top secret that was clearance that wasn't disclosed to the courts so they would have never let that happen and i think if you look at the warren commission they were investigating a lot of stuff but obviously with hindsight we can look back and say they should have did this and they should have did that but 
they also didn't know a lot of this other stuff that was going on under the works too. They're thinking they're, I mean, the Warren commission, in my opinion, looks like it should have been to investigate the president's death, but this was like Lee, Har Lee Harvey Oswald did it. And we're going to show you how, and it's like, oh, that's not really a thorough investigation. There should have been a little bit more, you know, interviews and things that should have been done. Bar Barry Ernst, for instance, the girl on the stairs talked about that. There were more than one person on that staircase, but they only interviewed one. I mean, that makes a little bit of sense of like, yeah, there were some spots where they missed, but I can't Monday quarterback. I mean, I can't 60 years later try and talk trash on this, but it's just trying to understand it is the difficult part. And I don't think, look, I mean, um, I don't think we as a country will ever come to a, a, a single conclusion on who killed Kennedy, uh, that without, without any question. And, and Jack Ruby guaranteed that by killing Oswald uh, and silencing him, even in the murder of Martin Luther King, in which you had James already caught as the assassin and he pleaded guilty and then recanted his plea afterwards. Once the death by execution was taken off the table, he could only get life in prison. He said, okay, now that that's gone, I recanted. And then told a story about how he was, you know, brought in by this mysterious guy Raul and everything else and told that for decades. The, a lot of people did not believe him and some believed him. That might've happened with Oswald. Even if Oswald had gone to trial and had been convicted and said, by the way, I didn't do it. There was really a group of guys that I met down in New Orleans or whatever else that, uh, and they took my gun or they, whatever else. There would have been a lot of people still thought it was a conspiracy. But with Oswald dead, I understand that this case will remain unresolved for most people for a very long time, if not forever, despite my good efforts to uh, to bring a little bit of sanity to it in case closed. I think what you're doing is important. I mean, even entertaining me and kind of talk. I know you talked me down at some point because I was definitely ramped up there for a minute. No, but no, no, no. You were good. You were good. No, no I, this is what I enjoy. You were fantastic because what I enjoy. So the last thing I know, and I have a one o'clock, uh, you know, a, a hard hit, but I want to just say this and I'm happy to come back on. So the problem is I was at, on the debate club in high school. How about that, man? That's a bad sign, not football or anything else. Debate, same in college. So I like debate. I like going back and forth. I like somebody giving it to me and saying, no, what about this? And I say, no, what about that? Do you mean that? No, you mean that. We, we live in a society now where if you have that type of animated debate, people say, oh no, don't do, you know, we don't like that because uh, somebody's gonna get offended or that. I'm not offended, I like that. That's, that's vigorous, good back and forth. And, and what we don't have enough of is what I view as a good debate about facts, statistics, cases, controversies. Doesn't mean that you're going to agree with everything I say, and it doesn't mean I'm going to agree with everything you say, but you exchange the ideas with this heated way, and I like that. People are afraid to do that. They, they call each other names on other things. They say, oh, you know, you're uh, uh, phobic about this, or you're hurting me about that, or, you know, whatever. And they don't have the discussion at all. So my view is what you're doing on a podcast like this, you get somebody on like me, you don't agree with everything I'm saying. We have a good spirited discussion back and forth. To me, that's a plus. I don't have that often enough. Um, is there a place where people can find you? And like I said, again, I really appreciate you giving me the time um, to be able to talk on my podcast. I'm glad you were, you were very patient. You've been trying with me to get this going for a while. And I, I, I was like, uh, oh, you said, we're going to do it. And we did do it. Uh, and we will do it again. Uh, I, I have a, um, I'm on uh, Twitter at, at Gerald Posner. I have a sub stack called Just the Facts. 
with Gerald Posner and I have a website that's just posner.com. So uh, people can find me there. I do answer my email. I am slow as Robbie can attest at times, but eventually I do answer. All right. Well, I'm going to make sure I link everything in the description. It's been a pleasure chatting. And thanks for listening to this episode. Bye.